for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right. I am blue, you are bright and shiny in my mind You got me loving, hating crazy indecision in my mind Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blisey. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and this is episode number 78. And I just want to tell everybody, happy Labor Day. Uh, Labor Day was yesterday, so hopefully everybody had a long, good long weekend and basically kind of like the last weekend of the summer. And uh, every time Labor Day comes around, I feel like it's the last hurrah and and falls basically here and with this colder weather we've been having here in Michigan, it, it sure feels like it. But uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I recorded this podcast uh, a couple days ago with Chuck Weldon. And uh, the guy, he actually does, uh, you know, the intro to the podcast here. And uh, he lives out in Missouri. One of the most successful deer hunters that I've ever met in my life. A good friend of mine. I had him on the podcast uh a while ago and we talked about uh basically his ability to pass up really big deer you know because he's going after a, a, a certain buck that might be bigger so it's crazy the deer that he's passed up in the in the past and he, and he still does it we actually talked about it on this podcast as well a deer that uh he passed up because he was chasing a 200 inch deer but uh today is actually part one of a three-part series that I'm doing with Chuck. So what happened was we got into a really good conversation. And like I said, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is the best podcast that I've ever recorded to this point. And uh, I'm not downplaying any other guests that I've ever had on here. And, you know, I'm not hating on them at all. I mean, every podcast I do, I, I think is, is unbelievable. But Chuck, 
his podcast and, and the knowledge that he spits out here in these three parts is just crazy. And the, and the conversation that him and I had just flowed so well. And, you know, I, I, I just got every piece of knowledge out of him. And honestly, in this first hour, we talk about a lot of different things, you know, hunting and filming out of box blinds. We talk about uh, a bone to pick that I have with him. You know, I uh, we'll get into that a little bit later in the podcast, but uh, I got a little bone to pick with him. So, um, chasing a 200 inch deer, you know, defining your success in a year, year in and year out, defining what that success means to you. And, uh, you know, we talk about a hunt that I had last year over a decoy and, and what I did that messed that whole thing up. So, it's pretty cool. I mean, we also talk about self filming, using calls. You know, asking permission uh, from neighbors and everything to do certain things. So this one, there's there's a lot of a lot of you know good information in this first one. But I'm telling you, part two and part three are going to be just as good. So I'm going to kind of keep this short and sweet, I guess. I mean, I am about four minutes into this, but uh, I want to kick this over and get this things going. So. Before I do, though, I I, uh, do want to mention that everybody's probably seen in the last couple weeks that uh, you've been seeing a a bearded logo on the podcast and the Kiefer Brothers logo over it and everything. And, you know, the reason being for that is because, you know, nothing's going to change in the podcast other than I'm just going to have Chris and Casey on a lot more as well. But, uh, you know, Chris and Casey wanted to bring the fall podcast under the, the Kiefer Brothers balloon because they find a lot of value in it and and they like what I'm doing and like what I've built here and uh, I just want to keep it growing so basically it's just you know another entity of Kiefer Brothers and we're just merging the two together so nothing's going to change um, like I said other than having Chris and Casey on more which I think is going to be a huge benefit because the knowledge that those guys bring is you know top notch so and, and I think everybody enjoys that as well so with that being said, uh, the last thing I need to say is go over to KieferBros.com because we have a ton of exclusive discount codes going on. And any product that we use you know, on the Kiefer Brothers side, there's probably a code for it. And if you go to our website, KieferBros.com, you can get those codes and everybody can use them. So Head over to KieferRose.com and all these codes are on there and you can see all the products that we use and a lot of video content along with the YouTube channel, the Kiefer Brothers YouTube channel and the fall YouTube channel too. So every one of these podcasts, if you guys want to listen to them on YouTube, you can do that as well. So long-winded, I know. I'm going to get over to this part one with Chuck here, so I hope you guys enjoy it and uh, I'm going to let Chuck take it from here. All right, on the phone again with me today. One of my good buddies from the Show Me State, Chuck Weldon. What's going on, man? Oh, not much, buddy. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Hanging out in my basement right now. Just uh, actually went out and glassed some deer tonight with my daughter and my wife and the dog loaded up in the pickup. It's beautiful night tonight. I mean, it was only like low 60s, so the deer were out early moving in the beans. But as you know, I mean, they're kind of kind of getting slower moving into the beans now they're kind of getting to that point where it's like velvet's going to start shedding here in a little bit and they're going <laughs> to they're going to start hiding a little bit more so right well you you've been to my place i i was an idiot this year and i planted the, the field behind my corn to, or behind my house to corn and my dad uh, my dad actually dumps uh, uh supplements and corn in the, the pasture behind his house which borders my cornfield so 
I, I have to I have to walk a hundred yards to go look at the deer. So <laughs> so I, I didn't I didn't make it out to look tonight. But it's a gorgeous night here too. Yeah, we were in like the fifties this morning and yep. probably down into the, the low seventies, upper sixties right now. So Yep. Well I was gonna say from your Instagram, I mean you could damn near watch all the deer from your hot tub. <laughs> I do. I, if I if I didn't if I didn't have this uh, little five acres of corn behind the house, uh, uh, I've joked forever that I was going to shoot one naked out of the hot tub sometime. But nobody wants to see that. So, well, if you knew the farmer that put in the crops, I'd be I'd be giving him hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, uh, my my wife she keeps asking me why I planted it back there too because uh, our little dog likes to get in there and make her own personal corn maze and we'll spend hours on end hollering at her. So. So I, I don't know that I'll get to plant corn behind the house anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, you can do it in strips, though. Why don't you do, like, you know, a, a tractor row of, strip, uh, of corn and then do beans and corn and beans or whatever you got to do and just <laughs> at the end of them put some uh, mineral out. Because you guys can put some, put mineral in your county, right? We're still we're still very, very lucky here. In fact, uh, in, in this county, Davies County, we still can supplemental feed and, and put out mineral. And uh, Missouri actually... I don't know if they if they got their head on straight or what, but they actually reduced the size of our CWD zone uh, this year. So some of the counties that had been prohibited for that have actually now got to go back to to doing it. But we we were never uh, unable to do it here. So yeah, man, that's it's my favorite thing to do in the summertime. Yep, I'm I'm jealous a little bit because I'm actually bordering a CWD county, well, a couple CWD counties here in Michigan and. We can't do any of that, any any mineral, any baiting. So I went heavy on the food plots this year and got some summer food in. And I was lucky, though, on one of my farms, my brother-in-law, he farms it. He owns it and farms it. He actually put winter wheat in, and uh, he's not going to, after he took the straw and the weed off, he is not going to do anything to the field until next spring. So he let me go in there and plant whole bunch of food so awesome. i got a little bit of late season food but i'm starting to realize that obviously i mean food's a little better than not having food but this year my pictures man they're just you know this summer you know i've got a couple of good bucks but they're just not what they used to be when there's either beans or corn and on one hand i'm like man that's awesome he's gonna let me plant when he's you know does the years that he has wheat but then it's like I wonder how the hunting season is going to be because I did put two plots in Nebraska's um, for some late season, you know, because late season is going to be kind of my my go-to, I'm hoping, you know, when the snow kind of hits and those plots are still kind of green. I got um, them popping right now, but, like, we haven't had any rain, man, since I planted the darn thing. So it's like, I mean, maybe, maybe an inch of rain in the last month, month and a half, it's been drying a popcorn fart over here. So. It's uh, it's the opposite here. In fact, I was watching, and I'm an hour north of Kansas City, but I believe it was yesterday. We are, uh, it's they call it a water record, which I don't know if I don't know what that is. I don't think it's actual rainfall, but we're two inches from setting an all-time water record uh, in in Kansas City um, for the. I don't know. They said it it ends the end of September. I I don't understand all, of it, but we've been so wet here uh just like the entire midwest you know we were forever getting a crop in the ground then we turned off extremely dry for about 30 45 days and and i don't know how much rain we've had in august in fact i don't even have all my plots planted we we finished up we did about eight or nine of them there 
I don't know, be two weeks ago Thursday, I think, and then it's it's rained pretty much ever since. So if you got if you need some, I'd be happy to share some with you <laughs> if I could. Well, push them over this way, man, because it's it's getting ridiculous a little bit. I mean, the good thing is, like you just said, you had a cold morning this morning, and we've been getting some colder mornings, but it's been really heavy dew in the mornings. And right. honestly, I didn't realize how much that still helps, and it's really, really made the plots like at least you know bud and get out of the ground and pop a little bit. But to get up and get lush, I just I just checked on one tonight, and it's it's really spotty, but it's coming up. So yeah. we'll see. I mean, we got some time here, and I was I planted them a little bit late, but I usually plant my fall plots, you know, first around the first of August, just because I've had the best luck with them planting around those two those times so we'll see right and it, it you know that all depends on the year mark Dury told me one time he said you know plan to plant your fall plots um look for the first rain first chance of rain before the first of august and i and i got bit on that several times that uh you know the weatherman you know national weather service that's a government agency so they're not always right and uh, so so i've planted i've planted my stuff as early as mid-july and then uh i was actually uh i just had an episode of our show that that featured me air this past week and and it was august 13th last year when i planted my plots and we turned off a little uh we were of course in a major drought last year and turned off wet and i had some of the the best plots i'd ever had uh this past this past fall so you know Bar, you know, barring a frost, man, you should be all right. Yeah, I hope so. We should be, we should be good. I, and I, I tried something new this year. I uh, got some box blinds. Um, I got some Amish around us that build some good box blinds, and um, I had them build me some box blinds that I can shoot bows out of, and I put them up on stilts. So, because I'm hunting a farm, you know, that's a lot of fence rows, you know, wooded fence rows, but there's not trees big enough to get in. So. This is a way for me to be able to get in and kind of go a little more undetected with the scent and everything, get it sealed sure. right up. And uh, my wife, she's not really that fond of heights either, so it's nice for her to climb up there and still be able to bow hunt as well. So it's I, uh, I don't want to I don't want to sit here and, and, and pimp our TV show, but we 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 uh, worked a partnership with Banks Blinds, and and they sent me a blind. And I tell you what, I'm about to become a full-time blind hunter uh, <laughs> I, I've, I've hunted out of the the box blinds and the pop-up blinds and all that and, and uh, uh yeah I, i'm i'm excited to uh i think i figured out where i'm going to put it and kind of a fence row deal like you're talking and uh, yeah buddy uh chuck's gonna hunt some comfort this <laughs> fall so you know what man it's funny you mentioned the banks blinds you know, I, I know Mitch pretty well, Banks, and uh, I've got to know him over the last couple of years because he sponsors, you know, our show, Rival Wild, with Keepers and everything as well. And Casey and I, this last fall, hunted a lot out of a box blind in Kansas because they make the that uh, steel skid system. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you got that with your stump, uh, your stump blind, but you can hook that to the back of an electric ranger, and you can take that damn thing wherever you want. And in Kansas, it is really tricky to find a tree in the in the area you area you want to be in. And you know, Casey and I've said it before, and Chris as well. I mean, our deer in Kansas are so nomadic. You know, they're like caribou; they don't really even know where they're going until they get there, kind of thing. <laughs> right. So it's like we've found more mature deer out in the middle of CRP fields. I mean, giant CRP fields that literally you go out there and put a bank right in the middle of the CRP with not a tree a couple hundred yards around you. 
and they'll come to you for some odd reason. And Casey and I bow hunted out of that. Oh man, a lot, you know, and you know, you see Mark Drew doing it a lot and it's like, man, maybe he's onto something, you know, and a lot of people, they give, you'll give people flack for it. But I'm like, just like you said, I like hunting in comfort. You know, you can get in that damn thing. And those, those banks blinds, those things seal tight. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? You can't, there's no scent getting out of those things hardly at all, if any at all. And it's comfortable. You can get away with so much and it's a great way to get, you know, your kids involved. It's great way, you know, to get new hunters involved and get up there and just sit in a nice chair and, and just enjoy it. I mean, that's what we're trying to do is enjoy it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I just, I just hope I'm awake when, uh, when the, when the shooter steps out because, because usually yeah, I'm up, I'm up in a naughty, naughty oak tree or something. I can't sit down in because I got a big knot sticking out <laughs> my back. So I got to stand up for three hours. And, and, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about, about that this fall. Yep. I will tell you though, I mean, not just a banks, but any box blind is difficult to film out of. And, oh yeah, you know, it, it took, it took Casey and I a little bit to figure out what we wanted to do as far as filming, but we built a little apparatus just out of two by fours in the, the floors of those banks. They're, they're basically OSB floors, but it's got carpet sure. in them. And uh, we built basically something that we could hook a tree arm to, and we put it all the way to the back of it, and we drilled it right to the floor. And, man, that thing, having a tree arm in there, uh, and I've taken a tripod in there quite a bit too, but having a tree arm in there and being able to maneuver a little bit and you're kind of doing the backstrap ballet every once in a while to try to get around and film some deer. But, you know, it's you find a way and, and you make it work, so... It's it's got its pluses and it and its minuses, but they are comfortable though for sure. Absolutely. Well, I'm a self filmer too, so so any any a tree or a blind of any sort is is difficult for me. But um, I got the uh, the fourth arrow system, and and uh, it's got the uh, the tripod. Uh, I don't know what they call it, tripod attachment. So essentially, you can put your uh, your actual camera arm on top of a tripod and allows you you know a lot more mobility so we'll see how it works out this fall i haven't uh, i haven't got it up yet i've been waiting for that uh, that perfect deer to show up to figure out which farm i'm going to put mine on and and uh, um and then i've got a couple i got a couple different opportunities so i might be uh, i might be sending a, an order form into mr banks so well, speaking of the fall, I've got a bone to pick with you first here. And a little bit ago, you 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 mentioned that uh, you know obviously everybody that's listening, you know, we're about 13 minutes into this. But Chuck Weldon, I've had him on before. I'm just going to kind of give you a little intro. Um, you know, you and I have known each other for a while now, and you are part of the Whitetail Fix show on Sportsman's Channel. And last, when, when did splits air? Um. Well, our our. Uh... Our prime airing for that, I think, will be, will be. It was this past Sunday. Okay, uh, so, is our prime airing. Yeah, so we, so, and we air at some odd times. You know, the the week prior to that, but yep. uh, the prime airing was Sunday. Yeah. So you were chasing a deer last year, and you and I talked about this on the podcast. Uh, what we did back uh, a couple months ago, anyway. Well, back in the winter, um, you were chasing a two hundred inch deer, and mm-hmm. ultimately the neighbor ended up, you know, taking him, but. The bone I have to pick with you is, what are you doing passing up too short? 
<laughs> I mean, well, come on, man. I, you know, yeah. if you need someone to come down there and, and just, you know, just slip in a tree with you and take a bow, I mean, I'll oblige. Well, you know, and I was putting, I was putting up some, some Instagram stories and, and, uh, and Snapchat stories when, uh, when I was hunting that deer, you know, and I'd take a picture of the viewfinder or, or whatever. And, and people said, you know, you're, you're, what are you passing that deer for? And, and, uh, when you've got a 200 plus or running around, uh, you don't, you don't tell them, well, you know, I'm hunting a 200 inch deer. Cause you exactly. don't want to, you know, you don't <laughs> want to show all your cards by any means, but, uh, man, I just couldn't do it. I mean, that deer was, that deer was so unpredictable, but I knew that I knew that he was still around. And, and the fact that I got a picture of him in, in November, um, this past season, which the previous season I didn't, I mean, every picture I got of him was, in August. And then I had a fluke encounter with him in December. I just, I knew the deer was still around and, and I was hunting a farm. I would say I've never really hunted Kansas, but I would say it's probably pretty similar to Kansas in the fact that it's, it's a huge CRP farm with just some finger draws on it, but it butts up to a huge timber on the, on the neighbor. And I, I just, I knew that that, and you know, and we're a large ag area. I, I knew that that deer was still around and I could not you know, how, how would you, I mean, I won't use the language on your podcast that we would probably use crawl, crawling out of the tree, but can you imagine shooting that deer and as you're sliding down out of the tree to go grab a hold of him, uh, you look up and, you know, there stands your target deer, you know, on the hill waiting to come into your food plot. I mean, I just couldn't, Yeah, I couldn't do it. And, and I've shot, you know, I've shot a lot of really, really good deer in my life and, and, you know, that was that the only person any more upset about that uh me not killing that deer was is my wife because i told her i said honey i said if i ever shoot a 200 inch i said i may just hang it up for a while and uh and she was uh she was livid that, that i didn't <laughs> that i didn't that i didn't kill it but uh uh and and i probably uh well i know i was lying to her when i said that but anyway um uh, but I just, I couldn't do it. I mean, he was, he's a, too short, was a, an incredible deer um, and probably, you know, old enough. But I just, I thought, man, you know what? And it's a, it's a lease farm and I, and I lease it with the, with the Mike Marstell or from our television show. And, and we've kind of got a gentleman's agreement that, you know, uh, we'll shoot, we'll only shoot one buck off. It's the, the lease itself is several different tracks. Um, and so we'll only shoot one buck per tract, you know, so, yep, I got um, so I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna, you know, try to, you know, break that, uh, break that little gentleman's agreement. And, and I, I mean, I just couldn't do it. Well, in hindsight, okay, let's say you're not hunting a 200 inch deer and let's say too short, explain too short quickly for everybody. Give them a, an audio visual, if you will. Well, he's, uh, I gave him the name too short and it's a common theme around here for some reason, but, but his G2s were extremely short. Um, and, and we have that in a lot of deer around here, but I, I mean, his G2s weren't much longer than his brow tines, but he was still probably, yeah, he was probably still pushing 150. He was heavy. Uh, his threes and, and fours were long. You know, he didn't have the longest main beams, you know, 16, 17 inches wide. You know, I, I think he'd have pushed 150 on, on the gross side. Um, but, and he was probably four years old, but, uh, just those, those short G2s are, it's just a kind of a common theme. And it's like, if we let them, 
let them go another year around here, then, you know, they'll come out of it the next year. And I shouldn't say come out of it, but they'll, you know, the twos will catch or exceed the threes. And, and that was, that was probably the only thing that was, uh, that and a 200 incher that was holding me back. I mean, had there not been a 200 incher on there, yeah, I mean, I'd I'd ended I'd ended my season in October when I had the first encounter with him, probably. Well, that's what I was that's what I was getting at. You know, if you're not chasing splits, you know that first encounter you had with him, and I I totally get why you did it. You know, because you like you said on the show too. I mean, that deer splits could have been staging up inside the timber. You know, just sending too short out there. You know, and just making right. sure everything's okay before because it's in October. You know, those deer are going to show their face usually last minute, last couple minutes of, of daylight, you know, and especially in a food plot. But that's what I was kind of getting at. I mean, you had great footage of that deer self-filming over the shoulder. I mean, basically in your lap, all you had to do was hit record and, and let him walk in a frame and, and, and end him at 18 yards. And I was like, oh, my gosh. But, you know, last time you and I did a podcast and Justin was on it as well. You know, we t- had talked about how you have the uncanny ability to just pass up deer after deer and buck after buck that, I mean, a majority of the pop- hunting population would <laughs> would indulge themselves on, you know, and I commend you for that because, you know, you do have an impressive wall and you have an impressive knack to be able to get on very mature deer and, you know, pass up these deer year after year, but also in the end, get after them and ultimately, you know, succeed and, and, and meet your goal with these deer. And that just blows my mind. And that's why I love talking to you about hunting. And I, you know, I ask you a lot of stuff about it. So, you know, but that, that was my question when I was watching the show, watching the show, I wanted to text you and be like, what are you doing? You know, but I, I understood <laughs> what you were doing, you know, but it's just, well, and, and I, I appreciate your comments and, and I, and I have, you know, I have killed a lot of, a lot of really nice deer, but, but, uh, you know, two things I don't have, I don't have a net boon and I, I don't have a 200 incher. And there's a lot of hunters in this world that will say the same thing. And, and I really thought that I was going to be able to, to kill two birds with one stone. I think that, I think he ended up splits, ended up netting like two eleven non-typical. Um, and he was one ninety something, I think as a typical, um, so I, you know, I could have killed a 200 incher and a net boon, you know, at the, uh, in one release of an arrow, if I could have hit him. Um, but, uh, you know, too short, I, I mean, I, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yes. I'd have probably, I'd have probably shot him, uh, had, had it not been for splits, but, uh, um, especially as visible as he was. Um, I mean, maybe the first time I might've passed him because it was early in the season, but the second time, hell no, you know, you're going to, you're going to beg that bad for me to shoot at you. Then I'm probably going to shoot at you. <laughs> well, you had three so good encounters with him, didn't you? Yeah. Three or four different encounters. And, and of course, you know, being an editor, you know, this, what, you know, what you didn't see on the October encounter was, um, that lasted 30 minutes probably. I mean, he's, he's broadsided. He comes out broadside at 40 and then, you know, he eats to, to 30 and then he stays at 30 for 15 minutes. I mean, it was, it was, I, I was starting to lose a little bit of light. I think when he finally, if I remember correctly, when he finally came broadside at 10 yards in front of me. And at that point in time, I was like, you know, I could, cause we, again, we had went through a D four drought and, and then we, we went from one night being in a major drought to a near record flood, basically overnight. And, 
we had a hell of a time getting our crop out and I could have just, it would have been very easy to say, okay, here's content for a TV show. Here's a, a, a notch on a buck tag. Now I can focus on, uh, on getting the crop out of the ground, but couldn't do it. So, and realistically, how much did you fight with yourself in the tree that night as he's walking by? I mean, was the little guy in your right shoulder telling you, Hey Chuck, j- just do it. Just do it, you know, and just kind of fighting them off. I I had I, I had the bow in my hand at one point in time, and and then I said no, I I can't I can't do it. The second time, um, I think was, I think the second time was when he when he chased the doe in. Um, I I think I said on the show that I didn't know what buck it was. I, I knew what buck it was, and and I and I didn't didn't even pick my bow up. The third time. I'm frustrated because again, I'm a self filmer and I've climbed this damn tree. I don't know how many times. And like I said, on, on that episode, uh, I was hunting a, a little half acre food plot. I got thousands of acres to hunt and I'm focused on this one little half acre food plot. And I've climbed this damn tree. I don't know how many times with bow rattling horns, backpack, camera, arm, camera, you know, uh, I, I, I had to start doing CrossFit this winter, just to get in shape, just to pack all the, <laughs> pack all the crap up and down the tree i mean literally just was you know i started just leaving my camera arm up there you know and then just taking my my camera and my bow and stuff but uh by the when i saw him uh in the the neighbor's timber and and grunted him in and snort wheezed at him and he came in i said usob you know i uh, it was one of them deals i was searching facebook every day trying to find out if somebody was bragging about killing a 200 inch deer because i said you know, I'm going to put an end to this. You know, I was, I was frustrated. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then after, you know, after that deer got killed and I mean, it took the wind out of my sail a little bit, you know, and, and at the same time, it was kind of relief to know that, all right, well, I can kind of give up on it. And it, you know, it would have taken a pretty special deer after that to walk out in front of me to, to release an arrow. I was like, you know, if it's the first time since, uh, I think it was the first year since 2006 I hadn't shot a buck with my bow, and that was that was one thing I had stuck in the back of my head was, man, that's a, that's a hell of a streak. I don't I don't want to, really don't want to break that streak, but at the same time, you know, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shoot a buck for the sake of of a streak uh, or something of a streak. You know, it's just not my style. So yep. Now, and I could be a little wrong on this, but I think you and I are talking a little bit and splits the the 200 inch deer that you were chasing the neighbor killed it and he, it was a gentleman from from kansas correct yep yep so he had came up but he like you found out that splits was dead during season correct yeah it was in like november he, he killed he killed that deer he killed that deer i think a week or two after gun season it was it was right after thanksgiving i think so yeah, I, that's about the time I found out about it. And then we, you and I, and Justin jumped on a podcast. Oh gosh, I can't remember when it was. Was it December or was it in in the in the season? No, I think season. I think season was was over with. I can't remember. I can't remember if it was you know pre ATA or post ATA. But yeah, I can't uh, remember either. But but what had happened is this guy that shot splits actually listens to the podcast correct i don't i think what happened was uh and and i could be wrong but i think that 
the guy that I actually um, leased the ground off of, which he doesn't have Facebook, but I, I had posted a link um, when when that podcast went went live. I posted a link on my Facebook, and I don't know if he found out about it that way or had found your podcast some other way. But when this guy had the track splits, so he got a hold of all the neighboring landowners, which that one neighboring landowner uh, is the guy that I lease from. And I think he called Mr. Tony and said, hey, I, I think you ought to listen to this. Um, I think this guy's talking about the deer that you killed. So so he listened to it, um, didn't didn't know me from Adam, You know, doesn't really know the area. He's from Kansas. It's about an hour and 25-minute drive from his place to, to mine or to, to that farm. And, but he, he, he knew it and, uh, reached out to me on Facebook and, and said, Hey man, I said, I, I think I killed this splits deer that you're talking about. And the, you know, you, you, you want, you want to, first of all, you want to be proud of the hunter, you know, Hey, congratulations. Then I find out, you know, he's a, he's a preacher. I said, well, you know, hell, I can't even, I can't even cuss the fact that, <laughs> That I that I found out that the guy that the guy killed the deer because because he's a preacher, but you know I got a chance to he was he was nice enough to uh, to let me come down to his home in Kansas, um, you know, and, and and this day and age, you know, to invite strangers to to your home is is you know somewhat unheard of, but he was nice enough to to let me come to his home and 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 see the deer, film a you know a little piece for our TV show. And we got a chance to visit, and you know, he he killed a world class deer, and 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 I made a new friend out of the deal. We text all the time now, and and uh, so it's it's one thing that I've always said is it, whether it's whether it's on TV or it's not on TV. For some odd reasons, my every every hunt of mine has a hell of a story behind it, and and this is just another great story, um, and and you know that's. Hell, that's worth as much as having the antlers on the wall, you know, is, yep. is, is a new friend, a great story. And, and, uh, uh, so it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. And that, you know, I've, I've been talking about it a little bit earlier on some earlier podcasts here in the last couple of weeks, but you know, the story that you had right there, obviously, yes, you would love to have taken the deer yourself and, and had him on your wall for a, a talking point and, you know, for, for people to come over and see him and everything and say, you know, I shot a 200-inch deer. But, you know, the success is all in, you know, how you determine success. Sure. I mean, there's some guys out there and gals that probably need to kill a buck every year, need to kill a deer to, to think it's a successful year. And I, I won't lie to you, I used to think like that. But, you know, there's, there's little successes every year. And, you know, last year I had shot my first four-year-old in Michigan – um, I've shot a couple out of state, but in Michigan, I shot my first four-year-old, Jim Abbott's big story. Everybody's probably hating that I'm bringing it up again, but you know, and, and I, I didn't hit him very good. I hit him high shoulder and didn't end up killing him and, and everything, but he was my number one. And then my number two buck was a deer I called bomb pop. And he's actually going to, that hunt is going to air on rival wild this year. And, you know, I went out with a decoy on November 10th, I believe it was and grunted him in to the decoy and to 35 yards i was self-filming and you know the the pain that i'm going through here but trying to capture the hunt and then you know ultimately capture a good shot on him with you know and, and get him down is near impossible 
and he <laughs> came to 35 yards, and I had my decoy situated a little probably wrong, and he got downwind and smelt the decoy and, and busted out of there, and I'm up in the tree. It's early, and I'm just cussing myself in my head like, you know, what the heck? You know, and I was so upset, and then throughout the sit, I had like a three-hour sit, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, you know what, man? Like, you're sitting on a farm that you just had an opportunity at your number one buck in October, and you didn't capitalize on that. And then your number two buck comes in in November, and both of these deer, you know, this deer is a 125-inch Michigan buck, which is a really respectable buck. And I'm like, that's a win. You know, I'm sitting on a farm that's 120 acres, but only five acres of timber on it, basically. You know, and it's like... That doesn't happen, you know. Even though I don't get to bring them home and everything, I got, I gotta, I gotta take the positivity out of that, you know. And I've, I've got sure. to take that as a success. And you know, and I feel like a lot of hunters out there are, you know, obviously you're not accepted unless you kill a kill a big animal, and you know, that's, I guess that's okay if, if you want to say that. But I get that's just not how I feel about it, and. It's all about, you know, how you judge your success. And that to me was a success. I didn't kill a buck last year and which was like you said, a streak, you know, I had a streak going for like four or five years of killing a Pope and young. And last year I didn't kill one. And you know, it, I was okay with it. Like I had a great right. year, you know? So what, what did you learn from it though? That's, that's anymore. That's what I try to get out of a hunt. You know, I've been doing this a long time and, and, by no means am you know i'm a good hunter by no means am i a great hunter but every hunt you know i learn something from it i don't take i've I've said for years i'm gonna i'm gonna take you know i'm gonna take notes i'm gonna take a piece of paper i'm gonna i'm gonna note the temperature the wind direction the moon phase like i said before i carry enough stuff up the damn tree i'm not even gonna i'm not gonna add paperweight to the to the backpack but i can't remember what i had for lunch yesterday but I go get in a tree stand and say, "Oh, I, I remember, I remember this wind, I remember this pressure. Yep, I'll see some deer tonight." Or you know, nope, God, I should have stayed home. You know, I learned something just like you're talking about your decoy setup. You know, I learned something every single hunt that I go out on, and uh, and I get as much out of that. You know, trying to figure them out. You know, it. You know, playing chess with them. You know, playing poker with them. Um, is is more fun to me anymore than than uh, the actual i don't care if you're hunting with a gun a muzzle loader add a ladle bow whatever you know to me it's more fun than 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 releasing the uh uh whatever the bullet the broadhead whatever it may right. be yep you know uh i i you know it's like like calling um and of course, every time I every time I snort wheeze in or, or grunt in a three year old, I say, "Well, there's one I educated. I'll never see him again." Mm-hmm. But it's but it's so fun to figure out, you know, what you can do and 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 talking to him and trying to get that, you know, get that edge. And and I learn from that. And like I said, I I, I rank I rank that the learning experience um, over the over the success. Um, is higher to me anymore so i agree i agree 100 percent. and that that decoy situation i was in you know everything that i've done with a decoy and i've always faced the decoy 
to my opposite side shoulder, basically. And every situation is a little different. And I take one side antler off them usually just because in Michigan, I don't want them to look any bigger than, you know, we don't have just giants around every corner. So I want to be able to have like a three-year-old Pope and Young come in and just want to beat the hell out of them. So, but what I, what I feel like I did wrong is I was sitting on the inside corner of a bean field and I pointed him. So the, the inside corner was to my left. And I thought that the deer, if anything was going to come in, I've always, every time I've used a decoy or, you know, I was with Casey or used a decoy. Every time I've been in a decoy's presence, a buck decoy, the buck has always come in and faced him head on. He's always going to loop right. in and face him head on. So I'm trying to get him to turn where I have, uh, you know, a quarter and away shot at like 20 sure. yards. And what I did is I think I put that decoy too close to the timber on the inside corner. You know, I only gave him about 15 yards to be able to do some maneuvering. And I think I needed to get him out in the bean field a little bit farther because he would have come, you know, in that inside corner. But I just felt like he probably got to a certain spot where he was like, I don't have a lot of room to maneuver over there. So I'm going to just go downwind of him here. And, and he came in like, on his butt side and was really weird to me um, and just from my experiences. So I feel like the next time I ever do that, obviously I'm going to get him out from the timber a little bit farther and give him a little more room to maneuver in. want to come in there and, and, and head him face on. So I don't know what, what's your experiences with decoys? Well, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you something that and you'll get a chuckle out of this that, that I learned from a decoy experience. Now I will say, I personally have not had the greatest success uh, with decoys. Now, now Matt Bullins, that, that used to be part of our, our show, uh, he killed, I think, three really decent bucks. Well, really good bucks um, here in Missouri on my farms using a decoy. So we, I've had this same boss buck decoy forever. Um, you know how these the boss bucks are? They're they're loud. They're uh, but but they're effective, you know. So I I left it I left it uh, back at a at a blind location that I had, and I'm you know trying to kill this splits deer. So I had standing corn that I planted went into one of the worst droughts in history. The corn was, I mean, there really wasn't even any there. Uh, there was a little bit there. So I went in and I mowed mowed down a little bit of corn kind of got this this path that you can come up into in this little bitty bowl and i mean it's like you know searching for a needle in the haystack for them to find corn to eat on but i thought oh the smell just to the smell of the fresh corn that'll bring them in but i said i need a decoy uh just to to help you know maybe pull a buck up in here so i go back to the farm where i left this decoy the damn antlers the mice or squirrels or something had chewed up them little plastic <laughs> antlers that are on yep. the on the boss buck I said, gosh dang it, I gotta have gotta have some antlers. Well in my basement, I've got twenty yard bow range in my basement. I had a Glendale full rut. So I go take the horns off this Glendale full rut and uh, screw them onto this boss buck. I I got farms that didn't have bucks that big on it. Because <laughs> those I, Glendells I, are like hundred and fifty inch deer, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And I put that on there. I took a couple pictures and, and sent it to well, I said there's a couple of couple of guys from our T V show that that hunt in Michigan and they said that'd be like a state record here you know and <laughs> it was 
but I do like I, I really do like hunting over decoys. Rod Owen, um, who's been in the the outdoor industry for years, he's forgotten more about deer hunting than than I'll ever know. Um, he was always very successful with decoys, and, and he taught me he taught me quite a bit. But I personally have not had that much success with them. But um, but I do like using them just because uh, you know even if it's a small buck that comes in and postures up, I mean. Uh, I, I've had mine knocked over one time by, you know, like a hundred incher, you know, and it was, you know, it, it was like, I don't know, it was, it was like catching that rare falling star. It's not something that you see all the time. I have a buck come in and knock over your decoy. And I was like, man, that was awesome. You know, and then after the, every, after the field cleared, I went, oh, damn, you know, I got a, I got a dead deer laying out in the field. Well, you know, <laughs> a dead what, plastic deer. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what shooter is going to come into this? And it's not like a turkey, you know, where they're going to go flog the dead one. You know, it's, it's, uh, I was like, well, that sucks. And now I got to, you know, either climb down or deal with it. So, but they're fun. I, I, I do enjoy it, but there's definitely a time and place for them. It's, it's not something that, you know, we open here September 15th. I, I I certainly wouldn't recommend somebody packing a decoy out September 15th. So Right. And, you know, with, with your decoy experience, have you had most of your bucks that have come up to it and postured up to it, do they come head on or do they come from all different directions? Most of them, you know, they, it's, it's kind of what you – what you hear is is you know they're gonna they're gonna circle downwind and 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 come in head on and and that's usually the way that we've the way we've tried to to post them up is is where and in me personally being a self filmer and I think that's probably what you were trying to achieve too was uh, I'm trying to set it up to best get that deer to come in I'm, I'm using the wind to set it up. But I'm also trying to posture or position that decoy that when that buck comes in and postures, it's going to give me, you know, that that broadside or quarter and away shot. Because if, you know, if you've got it set up, I can't I can't lay this out audio wise, right, right. but you but you could set it up where, you know, realistically, you could never have an ethical shot opportunity uh, before the deer blows out. Because, he's you know, obviously he's not going to stand there and, and make out with it. Uh, he's either going to, you know, knock it over and bug out, or he's going to realize something's up and and leave anyway. So I want that opportunity that, as a self filmer, that when he comes in and starts to turn and 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 posture up, there's you know there's my moment of truth. So right. it's not something that I use a lot, just for that simple fact that that one I'm a self filmer, two the opportunities here I think are are kind of few and far between um just because we have so many stinking does um it, it's really hard to you know it, it's it's a very magical time when you find that when you find that shooter that's not you know locked down in in november uh and 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 three again like i you know i hate to beat a dead horse here and, and not everybody listening to your podcast films but but being a self-filmer i carry enough crap to the tree as it is yep no, I agree. Like that night I went in there and had that that fiasco happen. I mean, I carried a PMW 300 to the tree, and I know you know what a PMW 300 It's a big yep. camera. I, I, yep. I took a, a muddy tree arm and a basin with me, and then I had this Primos Scarface decoy. I'll tell you what. I mean, I even layered down to walk through. It's snow on the ground. It's cold. I get, you know, I had to walk probably a half mile at least, maybe even a little farther. 
when I got to the tree, I was soaked. And I'm like, I, I remember getting to the base of the tree after I set the decoy up. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Like, this mm-hmm. this is ridiculous. This is supposed to be fun. And I, I'm, like, walking seriously like a camo Michelin man through a bean field to get to my stand. And I'm like, this is this is absurd. You know, and then yep. I get up in the stand and get my layers back on. And I do an intro. And I look over. And in the, in the bean field on the neighbor's, it was already harvested, but the bean field on me, it wasn't harvested. So there was a down tree in the bean field on the edge of the timber. Well, there was like, I don't know. I don't know how big it was, 20 by 20, you know, where the tree was out. Well, the farmer right. couldn't get in there and get those standing beans. He got up out of his bed right there, and luckily I had good access getting in there that he couldn't see me, but got out of his bed right there and was eating on those beans. And... You know, it was the only standing beans in that field, but in my field, like I said, was standing beans, and he just came over. I had to work him a little bit. Like, you know, I sat there, and and uh, I had a grunt, and I had a bleat, you know, a, a Primos can call, and that thing, I swear by that thing, but, you know, he was sitting there, and, and I gave him a, uh, a bleat, and he'd look up, and then he'd go back to eating, and I don't think you could see my decoy, so then I'd bleat again, he'd look up, and then he would just go back to eat, and I'm like, okay, so I got to – at that time, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to throw a grunt at him and see what happens. Maybe he's in the mood to where, like, okay, there's a hot doe over there, and I'm going to go investigate. Well, I grunted, and I grunted away from him, and he looked up, and his posture changed. And I'm like, okay, I got his attention there. But then yep. he went back to eating again, and then I gave him more of a tending grunt, like a, you know, a kind of a more hard tending, like, rut grunt. I guess right. you could say, and right after that, I mean, it was two seconds. It was triggered. He looked up and on a string right at me, and I'm I'm freaking out then. You know, filming, trying to get the camera on him, and trying to trying to get the bow in the hand and everything, and you know, blackout mode as everybody says. And he comes in and just came downwind too far, and I could I had a hole to shoot him. But I was trying to get the camera on him, trying to range him, and then trying to pick my bow up and get full draw. And it just, he, it was, it was a debacle. That's what it was. But, you know, it, and it, talking off air, you know, we haven't talked a single thing about, you know, what you said off air that you wanted to talk about, but you bring up the, the bleat. It's one thing that I've never had any success with. Really? I've, nope. I've taken, I've taken Primo's. I think Night and Hale had a can at one point in time. I've had, uh, um, the mad calls, uh, the mad, I don't even know what they call them, but they'll you know, and I, I've taken, you know, I mean, I, I'm like, you know, I'm like the poster child for 1980s hunting television shows. You know, <laughs> when you, when you, you know, when you had to take, you know, a, a full on duffel bag to the tree with you because you had to have every gadget that there was. Yep. I mean, that, that, that's me. I mean, when I, when I go to the tree, that, that is me. And, and, you know, while blowing this bleak call, well, no, that didn't work. Let me get the can out. Well, that didn't work. I mean, I'm, I'm a grunt, and, and I, I just snort wheeze with my mouth. Um, and, and the snort wheeze is my, is my go-to. Now, I mean, I've used grunts to, to stop a deer, slow a deer down um, at, at a distance. And then once I get their attention and, and they kind of act like they're going to move on, then I snort wheeze at them. But I've, I've never had any success with a bleak call. Uh, that's, and I, I know a lot of people have, uh, so I, I'd, I'd like to, that's something I'd like to, I don't know, learn how to use it better or, uh, 
I don't know, I guess maybe just experiment with it more. But yep. that, that's cool that that works for you. Well, you know, in, so rattling antlers for me anyway here in Michigan don't work. Um, out of state, I can blind rattle. I've blind rattled bucks and um, I've seen bucks and rattled them in. But here, I don't even take antlers with me. Um, I have heard from guys in Michigan saying that taking antlers with them actually in like early October and just tinkling the tines together, you mm-hmm. know, like, you know, you see those younger bucks in food plots on your trail cams and stuff like that, just like tink, 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 you know, like doing yep. that. They were able to get deer to come into that. I don't, I don't know. I've, I've never tried it. I, to be honest with you, I'm too scared to try it. But yep. uh, for me, uh, Primos Buck Roar, the first original OG, yep. I still use it, still got the same one, still awesome. Uh, and then the Primos uh, Bleak Can Call, still got the same one. I've had those for, uh, I mean, ever since they basically come out, 10, 15 years, whatever. And I I will actually do a sequence here in Michigan where I'll do like three bleats with three soft tending grunts and the rut blind. And I've called three-year-olds in doing that. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and it's worked. I mean, it doesn't work all the time. But when I see a buck like I did with him, it was like something hit me where I was like, okay, I, you know, for me, a bleak call, you know, it's not going to alert that deer. Like, Oh God, there's a big buck over there. I can't go over there. You know right. what I mean? It's not going to like startle him, but if anything, it's going to be like a safe, like a, Hey, I'm over here. You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm in estrus kind of thing. So I didn't think it was going to hurt me. So I let out a bleat. He heard it, looked, didn't want to commit. So after I did that three times, I'm like, okay, well, he's not going to commit to that. So I've got to do – the only other trick I have in my bag is a, is a grunt. So I just did, like uh, like I said, I, I put the grunt away from him. And obviously when he's when his head's to the ground, I don't like calling a deer when their head's up looking at me. It's like a megaphone. Sure. You know, hey, I'm over here in the tree. Come over and, and smell me and look at me. I'm a hunter kind of thing. Right. That's that's what right. I, my opinion. So when he put his head back down, I just gave him a rip, 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 just kind of like soft, like – three short ones kind of quick like that and that's all it was and he i mean you'll see on the show if everybody watches the show i think it's going to be episode uh seven i believe so here in a couple weeks and i mean he comes on a string on a string and he and that's all he needed but honestly and then i know i'm gonna probably catch some flack for it and it's like you know why didn't you just say screw the camera and just shoot him but me being a producer, it was kind of like one of those things like I've had pictures of this deer all year. I filmed him in the beans in the summer, and it was like it was almost like I don't know what it was. I think the producer took over me and too, how like when I'm filming Casey or filming anybody else, it's like that's your job. You have to film sure. it, you know, and I don't know if that kind of took over me as well. Or if it was like, you lugged all this shit out here, you're going to do this. You know, you're going to see it to the end. You know, good, bad, or indifferent, you're going to do this. So I don't know really what it was, but that actually that thought of like, screw the camera, uh, shoot them, never really crossed my mind, to be honest with you. It's never never crossed mine. And and I might have mentioned this on, on the last podcast. But you know, prior, prior, and 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 Steve Philly, who's who's a part of our our show, um, him and I have been. I mean, we started this whole film adventure together back in 
oh six oh seven something like that and and uh, when and, and he lived in 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 my town Gallatin which I live outside of town but we were twelve miles apart and uh, unfortunately he lost his father and when his father passed away he moved back to to his original farm which put him now at about 30 35 minutes away so it became harder for us to and and we worked different schedules and and that's a hard thing about being a farmer i mean you work a you work an eight to five or you know or whatever it may be you know what time you get to go hunt you know if i if i catch an afternoon rain and i can't you know i can't get on a combine guess what i'm going hunting whether i got a cameraman or not so that started my that started my whole uh, uh, self-filming um, situation, and then if, you know you add on top of it, uh, you, you've got uh, you've got a, a television show, obligations to sponsors, and and things like that to produce you know good quality content, and then I think it becomes just a prideful thing that you know uh, you know hey I'm you know I'm gonna gonna get this done but point point of my my story before before i started self-filming you know i i was probably you know about number two when it came to you know bow shot on on uh, on a quality of shot or accuracy or whatever you want to call it uh on, on the group of guys on whitetail fix and when i started self-filming myself my shot quality went to total hell you know i i've, I've had to hire dogs i've had to track overnight things like that and it's not because you know it's not because i don't you know i don't practice and and i'm not still a good archer uh that just what you said that producer mindset takes over you know and is he in frame and then all of a sudden you know crap he's gonna he's gonna take a step or he's gonna walk out of frame and he ended up rushing shots and and uh, so there's there's definitely a negative that comes along with one being a producer because I'm like you. I think that that gets in your head, you know, and, you know, I, I want my stuff to look good when people see it, you know, I, but and at the same time, I want people to say, well, I don't want people to say, damn, he's a hell of a producer, but he can't shoot worth a damn. <laughs> right. You, you know, so, uh, man, it makes it tough. You but know, that's it, part it, of it, too. I mean, a lot of people out there, you know, the, the big wave, too, is is guys like you and I out there um, that don't have a TV show that want a TV show. You know, and right. that that self film and you know, do do that. So it's really relatable as well. But obviously they don't have obligations to sponsors as well either, you sure. know, or obligations of getting a storyline. So it might be something where it's like, Okay, sc- screw that camera. But uh, you know, I've been filming my hunt since I was sixteen. You know, I'm thirty two now and there hasn't been many times that I've went in the in the woods without a camera, whether it be a GoPro or you know a, a 300 or a 5D or, or whatever it is. Yep. There hasn't been many times I haven't went in the in the woods without it. Um, so it's just I think it's something that's like that's all I know now, you know, right. kind of thing. And maybe that took over too, and it's like, well, you need to do this kind of thing. I don't I don't know. So what you know, in hindsight, going back, would I change it? I don't think I'd change it. You know what I mean? Now, yeah, I'd change my decoy setup, but you know, trying just saying screw the camera. No, I mean, I can tell you what I did though. The that night when I got back, I called one of my good buddies and I said, "Hey, I need someone to film in the morning. Can you film for me?" And he's like, "Yeah." I said, "All I need you to do is press record and make sure 
it's in focus. That's it. Yep. 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 <laughs> I will do the rest after we get him on the ground. Yep, That's exactly. it. You know, and yeah. we went out and saw yeah. another shooter that morning too, but he was just too far away. Uh, and what my number three buck actually. So that was a success as well. You know, and you learn something from that. So yeah, uh, that's that's that that's 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 what like I said. That's what I love the most is just learning from it and and how to how to capitalize on it next time. And and you, know, you and I have done some seminars. You know, I think one or two in the past together here in Missouri, and you know, and I and I tell I tell people all the time when I get asked to do them, and I don't feel like I'm qualified to do them, but <laughs> you but, and me both. <laughs> but, but but you know, I, I go do them, and, and 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 I truly believe this, but you know, I, I think that that hunting is is not something you can teach. You know, you're either born a hunter or you're not born a hunter. Now, are some some people better hunters than other other people? Yes, but. Can you learn from other hunters? Absolutely, you can learn from other hunters. But the biggest thing is, is you know, it's life in general. You learn from your mistakes and, and you know, you capitalize on, you know, try to capitalize on things you've done well and, and capitalize on the mistakes that you've made and learn from them. And that's, that's like I said, that's becoming one of my favorite. That was what's so frustrating about splits is, is it wasn't the fact that I wasn't smart enough to get on him. I just didn't know where the hell he was living. You know, and, and if I'd had access to all the property around me, I have no doubt that, you know, I'd have figured out where that deer was. In fact, I called one neighbor and uh, I said, does anybody hunt this, this ground? He said, yeah, you know, they do. And I said, well, I don't really don't want to hunt it. I said, I'd just like to go in there and just drop about 10 trail cameras on it. And he says, oh, no. He said, I got a guy. And that was all I wanted to do was just figure out, figure out where the damn deer lived. It wasn't so much killing him just you know what hole was he hiding in right and that was the, that was the most frustrating thing was um you know i knew i wasn't hunting a ghost but you know i wasn't hunting a, a frequent visitor either you know so uh just learning you know learning from from every hunt is is uh like i said that 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 is is probably just as rewarding or more rewarding to me than than actually you know punching a tag Ah, I hate to stop it right there, but you know, Chuck and I recorded a podcast for three and a half hours. So, I mean, just one question after another when we were talking and it just kept going and it was great information and we didn't want to stop and you know, he was good with it. I was good with it. So we just kept going. So like I said, this is going to be a three-parter. This is part one of three. So next, uh, on the next episode, next part, we're going to talk about kicking it off with trail cams, how Chuck uses trail cams from the summer to october you know in september october november how he uses them differently and it's some really cool information but that's not all there's a ton more information in this next podcast as well so also i do want you guys to go to itunes if you could please and subscribe to the podcast you know do a five star rating if you would those five stars that are right there if you could just click five that'd be great leave a review too i mean I, have, I do have a few reviews on there, but I'd like to get some more in there. Honestly, just go in there, leave it. You can leave it, you know, you can mark it unknown. Nobody has to know who you are either. So just go in there, leave a review. That'd be great. And, uh, again, I appreciate you guys uh, subscribing, supporting the podcast. And, you know, this is part one of three. So looking forward to part two. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>